2 Kings 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Let's stop reading right there. But this is uh, what we've just read is the next scene in the life and ministry of Elisha. Now, the last time we examined Elisha, really were introduced to Elisha, he was at home He was working in the fields. He was plowing uh, with 12 yoke of oxen. He was busy in what we would maybe call the secular workforce and just working. A man that looked like, by all indications, he knew God, loved God, revered God, served God, feared God, and and did that in the the secular workplace. And I I will just say this. uh, By the way, we need those kind of people. Amen. Not everybody. I mean, listen, a very small percentage of Christians are going to be full-time on the work of God. I know on Wednesday nights we've been talking about 1 Timothy and paying the preacher and all that. But listen, that's just a small, that's a small, very small subset of Christianity. Most churches are made up 99.89% uh, of, the, of the people in that church, what are they? They get up in the morning and they go to work and they fear God and they love God and they serve God where they're at and praise the Lord for them. I don't ever want to act like that is 
that is beneath anything. No, that is, that is wonderful. That is God's design. That is God's will. And that's God's plan for most people. But for Elisha, there was a higher call on his life. Just a little bit, a more, a more step out on faith. Leave that lifestyle. And it wasn't a sinful lifestyle. It was just a secular lifestyle. Leave that behind. Step out on faith and be a part of the servants of God and minister of the man of God. And as soon as that mantle touched his shoulders, it seemed like he was ready to go. He ran after Elijah and he surrendered to God. And that text, as we looked at it, uh, I think it was last Sunday night, as we looked at it last Sunday night, it really spoke to us a lot about discipleship and what it is to follow Jesus. And by the way, it doesn't matter secular or uh, in, the, in the ministerial world or whatever. It doesn't matter who pays your salary. That matters not. All of us are to be, ought to be 100% surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not matter. It's just for Elisha's life, 100% surrender meant leaving all that behind. It meant burning the plows and eating the cows and going off with the man of God. The only thing that we know about Elisha that took place between that scene, and then the scene that I've just read for you tonight, the only thing that is known about him is there's a comment that's made about him that says that he is the one that he pours water on the hands of Elijah. It was said by, uh, let's see here, it's in verse 11 of chapter 3, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that... We may inquire of him, and one of the king of Israel's servants was the king of Israel. Said, "Is one of his servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. He did the work of a slave. He ministered. He was the he was the one. He just washed the hands of the man of God and other probably what we would look at as menial tasks like that. And so he has just been serving the man of God. He has been his gopher. He has been his his uh, uh, you know cook a meal, go get lunch." You know, vacuum out the car. I mean, that is what, you know, carry the, carry the, the suit coat and the Bible. That is what Elijah, Elisha has been to Elijah. He's just been serving. But now the Bible says in verse number one of our text that it comes to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirl, a whirlwind. And so now we see that there is a, there, there, there's a new scene coming on. There's a transition that, t- that is taking place here. In fact, there's a couple of lessons that I just want to pull out just real quick, just by way of introduction and show you what we got going on uh, in this text before I give you what I feel like is kind of the main thought of the passage here tonight. First of all, I see a lesson about taking there's a lesson about taking. That's, that's what it says, verse number one. In fact, the whole passage is about what the Lord is taking. Do you see that phrase? It's used over and over. Verse number one, the Lord would take up Elijah. And verse number three, uh, the, the, the sons of the prophets came several times to Elisha and said, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Uh, there, there is something being taken from you. There is a lesson about taking in this passage right here. And the lesson is this is that sometimes, listen now, sometimes it is God's will to take things out of our lives. Just the truth. Sometimes it's God's will to take good things out of our life. It's God's will for Him to take things that we depend on, things that we look to, things that we are comfortable around things that mean a lot to us and are very valuable to us. How many of you would agree that Elijah fit all of those characteristics to Elisha? He was valuable to Elisha. 
Elisha depended on Elijah. Elisha looked up to Elijah. That's all. In his ministry lifespan, I don't know how long that is. I don't, we don't know for days, months, years into this thing. Not sure exactly. But in the, in the ministry lifespan of, of Elisha serving with Elijah, I, I mean, there, don't you think there'd be a... That's all he knows. There's a comfort with that. Uh, of I serve God with the man of God. And, but now... It's been revealed, and it seems like it's common knowledge. Everybody, it's not a secret. Everybody knows it. Now, it's introduced to us in verse 1 of chapter 2, and it kind of takes us off guard. Elijah's doing what? You know, who's he? What's he? What's going on here? Elijah's going where? He's going up. But it seems like everybody knows what's going on. He's going to be taken up in a whirlwind. The sons of the prophet. I mean, it's gone as far as, you know, uh, Bethel and, and, and Jericho and, and, and Jordan and everybody. Everybody knows that Elijah is going to be taken off the scene. And, and it was obviously a point of pain in, in Elisha's life. It seems like, because I mean, every time these sons of the prophets come around and they say, you know, the Lord's going to take Elijah uh, from you today, what did he say? He said, yeah, I know, shut up. That's what it says. I mean, that's how I would translate it. He said, yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. You ever told somebody that? Yeah, I know, shut up. That's usually not what you say when you're feeling all kind of, uh, you know, all kind of Christian graces flowing through your, your veins. It's like, yeah, I know, shut up. You know, leave me alone. I know, leave me alone. Let's not talk about it. We don't talk about it. And so obviously, it seems like this would be a point of pain, a, a point of insecurity in Elisha's life. But I will say this, that God knows best, doesn't He? God knows best. He knows what to take. In fact, God never takes anything out of our life unless He plans on replacing it with something that is a lot better, if we'll let Him. Elisha had a double measure of power that he receives in this text. Well, maybe in the next text after we read, a double measure of power. There's things, there were heights that Elisha would never realize and he would never know until God took some things out of his life. We hold on to things and we clasp things and we grab things and we say, Lord, these are my things and you can't take these things. But let me tell you something about God. He's a sovereign God. He'll take what he wants when he wants to take it. There's people mad at God. There's people mad at God tonight, bitter at God. God, you took something from me, took something precious from me. By the way, he owns everything anyway. He he doesn't steal anything. Everything belongs to him. If the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, then he he doesn't steal anything. When he takes something, he's only taking something that already belonged to him, something that he let us use for just a short time, something that he let be a blessing to us, let be a use to us, let let, let be a fellowship to us for just a short time, and then he can take that out of our life. He can take that person. He can take that ministry. He can take that that health. He can take that that fellowship of somebody. He can take it. He can take out of his life. And, And if somebody, if you think that, 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 that the God of heaven is just somebody who wants to give you everything you want and He's not going to take things out of your life sometimes. Listen, you're going to be severely disappointed when you are introduced to the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible takes things and He's right in doing so. But it's always for our good and it's always for His glory even if we don't realize it. Just because we think God's wrong, it doesn't mean God's wrong. It means we're wrong. 
And I'm sure if we'd asked Elisha that day, do you want Elijah to be taken from you? Of course he would not want his mentor, his head, his master to be taken from him. But that was best. That was best. So there's a lesson about taking. There's a lesson about transitions in this text. This is a transition text. There's one generation that is departing and there's another generation that is catching a mantle and that is going to go forward for the glory and the honor of God and leaving a mantle behind uh, for the next generation to pick up and to carry on the work of God. And although Elisha carried on the the, the prophetic ministry of Elijah and, and we think of them almost together, Elijah, Elisha, together as maybe one One ministry right there. Elisha was his own man with his own miracles and his own problems and his his own message that that, that he had. And and he had his own ministry all together. Elisha was not Elijah and they were not the same. God had a purpose for Elijah and then God had a purpose for Elisha. And that is the way this thing works. That's the way the work of God operates. God has different men and He uses them in different ways. But the work of God goes on and He'll pick this man up and he'll use him he'll use this family, he'll use this one and then he'll trans, uh, uh, transition to a, another one and when one goes off the scene, another one and I thank God for the men of old and the men of God that have stood and proclaimed the word of God but just because they die and they go to heaven that doesn't mean the work of God stops it goes on. And a lot of people are stuck in the past and they are, they are paralyzed by nostalgia and paralyzed by, uh, by, by, by the past. And, and it holds on to them and they're not able to, to go forward and realize the work of God must continue because they're stuck looking at somebody that used to be. God takes and then He moves in another, moves in another man. It's that way everywhere. It's that way here at our church. Not the first pastor of this church, and unless the Lord tears is coming, I probably won't be the last pastor of this church. The work of God goes on. It doesn't matter who the man is. The work of God is it's not about it's not about men. You know what Elijah was? You know what Elisha was without God? The same thing Elijah was without God. Just a man. Just a man. It was God that makes the man. It's God that makes the man. And these transitions take place. The workers may leave, but the work remains. And it continues. God always has a man. No one is irreplaceable. No one is. You better watch out and start thinking, oh, nobody can do what I do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely nobody's irreplaceable. And that's from here. That's from the pulpit to the back pew. Nobody irreplaceable. God's work goes on. Aren't you glad this thing ain't dependent upon us anyway? It's on him. Transitions. Transitions. Taking. There's another lesson. This is really the one I want to look at for the last few minutes we have together. And that's a lesson about temptations is what I want to call it. A lesson about temptations. Because here's what I see. Here's, what, here's how the Lord spoke to my heart, I feel like, from this passage. and I think it's one of the main lessons from this passage that we need to come away with tonight. And that, and that is this, that, that I see Elisha. I see him answering the call of God. I see him surrendering his life. I'm talking about he's, he's literally willing not just, to, not just to leave his job, but to leave it in flames when he leaves. He's, not, he's nothing to go back to. He, he burned it all. And, and, and there's, there's, there's no He burned all the bridges. He can't go back. And he's 100% sold out to God, ready to serve God the rest of his life. 
And the very next scene that we find in his life is opposition. It's opposition. And I tell you, and isn't, isn't that the way that it, that it just always is? It's, it's that way. If you think surrendering to God, selling out to God is going to be the end of all of your problems, well, then you have, uh, you know, you have a, a distorted view of the way this thing works. It's usually the beginning of all your problems. It really is. Selling out and serving God has its own set of problems. That's why most people don't do it or don't do it for long. Most people, they'll, they'll start out, you know, they're fired up, they're excited, they're going to serve God. And then guess what happens? They get pushed back just a little bit, and they take their toys and they go home. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know. They thought everybody in the world is going to celebrate and throw a party. Oh, such and such. Sold out to God. They serve God. You know what? Listen, what's fun, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's not that way. There's opposition in the work of God. And I don't really have a good title tonight. I tried to get one, but I just, my internet was down, so I couldn't find one. But I'm just going to call it serving and struggling because that's what I see here. When there's service, there's struggles. Service and struggles. You serve God, there's going to be struggles in your life. Service and struggles, and that's the way it is. And if you don't learn to deal with the struggles right, you won't be serving long. If you don't deal, if you don't learn to realize and accept the fact, yes, there's opposition. You think the world wants you to sell out and serve God? No. You think your flesh wants you to sell out and serve God? No. You think the devil? Of course, the devil wants to. We have enemies. We have people that are against us. We got forces that are against us. We got philosophies that are against us. We got a flesh that is against us. And we're not going to have an easy go at it serving God. Serving and struggling, they go hand in hand. Now, I do not want you to get me wrong. It is wonderful to serve God. It's the best life to serve God. I promise you it is. You're going to struggle either way. Life is a struggle no matter what you do. You might as well do it serving God. That way you can struggle with a clean conscience. That way you can struggle with Holy Ghost help. That way you can struggle and know what it is like to get victory and have a measure of victory in your life. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like victory in the service of God. It's better than winning the lottery. It's better than scoring a touchdown uh, in front of 100,000 people. It's the best life in the whole world when God lets you struggle and lets you know what opposition is like, but then He swoops in and He picks you up and He lets you know what victory is like. Man, what a wonderful life. Man, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the whole wide world. I promise you it's the best life, serving Jesus. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't say we live in defeat, but we do live in struggles. We do live in battles. We do live, and Elisha finds us out. It's amazing. As he is serving, there's this pushback. There's these obstacles. There's this opposition that is pushing on him. It seems like, I don't know, when I read this text, it just, it just seems like, as I, as I read this, it's just, it's just like from every single direction, Elisha is getting the same message. Quit. Quit. Just stop. Just, just give up. 
Just throw in the towel. And I don't know if you know what that's like. I, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody in here, but and I'm sure I haven't been through things a lot of other people have been through, but I feel like I, I know a little bit of what that's like to, 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 to go through some hard spots. The old preacher, one old preacher called it the quitting places. So how do you stay? How do you, how do you stay faithful to God? How, how do you keep serving God? In spite? He said, you got to get through the quitting places. I, didn't, I heard that years ago. I didn't know what that meant, but I've only been in this thing. Uh, I've been pastoring 15 years and a couple months, and uh, I, I can tell you about quitting places, places where it's easy to sit down. Sometimes you're on the mountain and you think, man, I'd never quit. Whoa, you know. And then sometimes you think, man, I'm done with this. Forget this. Forget you and you and you and you. <laughs> And it's easy to quit. And I see that. I don't know. I just kind of resonate with Elisha here. As I was, or that's how the Lord spoke to my heart about it. And he's just pushing back. And it's just push and push. And everybody screaming in his face almost. They might as well be. Quit. Give up. Sit down. Go back. But he pushes forward. He pushes forward through the pushback. Oh. There's my title right there. All right, swap that around. We ain't using slides right now, just for a couple weeks. Y'all got to learn to listen to a message without, without pictures, all right? That's why I'm doing that. This is just, a, this is just for maturity purposes for our church. I don't want a church of kindergartners, all right? But I like the slides. But anyway, we'll talk about it later. Got to push forward through the pushback. Ain't that right? That's what Elisha's doing here. He's, everywhere he goes, push back, push back, push back. But what does he do? He pushes forward. He pushes forward. He keeps going. He keeps going. As thy soul liveth, as the Lord God liveth, I will not leave thee. And he keeps going and he keeps going. Let me say a few things about opposition and the work of God. Uh, number one, I would just say the reality of opposition. I, I just want you to notice where this opposition... I thought about the nature of the opposition that Elisha faced. It was confusing opposition. Confusing opposition. And I call it that because I'm confused. I don't know if Elisha was confused, but I'm, I'm a little confused here because it seems like his number one proponent of quitting is Elijah. Isn't that what it looks like to you? Elijah, the man of God, the one that put the mantle on him, the one that... that, 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 that if you let me use, I know it was God that called him, but Elijah is the one that, that, that revealed that call, and that was used by God to manifest that call. He's the one almost at every place. They're at Gilgal, they're at Bethel, they're at Jericho, they're at Jordan. Remember those four cities? They're going to come up here in a minute again. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. And at all four places, it seems like, maybe not Jordan, but at, at the first three places, it seems like where, where, where uh, Elijah, the, the man of God, the, the mentor, he said, look, you just stay right here. Just stay right here. And, and, and everybody I read behind or, or studied behind, they said, well, you know, he's testing them, testing them. Elijah was testing Elisha. And maybe so. Maybe that's what it is. But at the same time, it doesn't, ma doesn't matter what Elijah was thinking. What's Elisha thinking? That's what I'm trying to figure out. It don't matter what Elijah meant, what his motive was. It might have been right. I'm testing this boy to see if he's worthy of carrying on the 
the prophetic ministry? Is he worthy of the mantle? Is he, is he willing to stay with it and stick with it no matter what? That's fine. I don't mind with that interpretation. That's probably what's right. But it doesn't matter. On the other side, what does it look like to Elisha? Elisha doesn't know he's being tested. He's con- I, would, I would imagine he's confused, right? The man that called me, the man that called me out, singled me out for ministry. He is the one that seems to be opposing me, continuing in this work. And I would just say that I don't understand everything there is to know about that, but I would just say this. Here would be the thought that I would put on this right here, is that sometimes opposition will come to you from places you never thought it would. Sometimes opposition will come to you, the very ones that encouraged you in the beginning. They will be the ones, sometimes, to discourage you later on. The ones that you thought would be an encouragement to you in the way. They may not be encouraging you at the end. That's why you got to... That's why... That's why the double answer. There's a double answer. In it. And every time he says the same thing to Elijah, he said, as the Lord liveth, that was number one. Everything Elisha was doing was based on the existence of God first before it was based on the existence of Elijah. He said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. He had his priorities right. It was about the Lord first. Then it was about Elijah. And I'm going to tell you something. If God's not number one in your life, you'll quit. You'll fall down. You'll fall out. Because sometimes opposition comes and it is confusing opposition. I thought about not only confusing opposition, but I thought about close opposition. It, discouragement, the next part of the discouragement, it comes from Elisha's peers. It comes from the guys that, I mean, they're supposed to be on the same team. They're the sons of the prophets. They're the preacher boys. They're in preacher boy college. They're supposed to be encouraging one another. Now, I don't know if they're jealous. I don't know if they're just stupid. I don't know what their deal is. But man, they got something. And it's not just one in one place. He's going to different places. These are different. It's not the same crowd following wherever he goes. It's the ones that were at Bethel, the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel. And then it was the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho in verse number five. It, it, it's, 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 a different, it's a different group is what it seems like, but they're all on the same page, and that is, man, how can we make Elisha cry? Let's make him weep. Let's make him sad. And that just goes to show you, show you sometimes discouragement comes from people that are supposed to be on the same team with you. In fact, can I be honest with you? That's where most of it's going to come. That's where most of it's going to come. It's gonna, because I'm going to tell you something. He gets, in the, he gets in the next chapter and there's a bunch of little kids making fun of him. And, you know, it, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't bother him at all. He doesn't say anything to them. He doesn't tell them to shut up. He just lets the bears come out. Man, I can't wait to get to that passage. He just lets the bears do all the talking. But these guys, he feels like he's got to say something back to them. Yeah, I know it. I says, yay, I know it. But I like to read it. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> Hold you, peace. And... That's where most of your discouragement will come. That's where most of your opposition is going to come. It's going to be people, people that you thought were peers. 
you're going to try to go all the way with God. You want to serve God and keep going on. And it just, it was just a, there's just an opposition. There's a, there's a pushback. Confusing opposition, close opposition. I call it concealed opposition. And this isn't something that I read in the text. And so if I'm reading into it, if this is wrong, just throw it out. You can throw this point out if you, if you want to. It's not, I don't see it in the text necessarily. But I, I'm just thinking that, that, that Elisha, he's just flesh just like us. Don't you think there's got to be his own flesh? If, if it's, it's coming from Elijah and it's coming from the peers, what do you think's going on in his own heart? I wonder if he's thinking, and again, it's just speculation. You do with it what you want, but I wonder if Elisha's thinking, can I, can I continue in ministry without Elijah? I, I don't know what it's like to serve God without Elijah. I've always been... The, the servant, I've never been the master. I've always been the, the tail. I've never been the head. I've always been the number two. I've never been the number one. What's, what's life going to be like without Elijah? What if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I, what if I don't measure up? It's pretty big shoes to fill. Elijah Pretty big sandals to fill. I mean, this is the man of God, renowned man of God. He's got to step up and be prophet after him. I think there's some concealed, some hidden opposition things going on. But it's all this. It's confusing. It's close. It's concealed. But you can see through the text. What, what, what's one thing in this text that stands out? It's the same things are happening over and over. It happens here, and it happens there, and it happens here, and it happens there. It's all continual opposition. Can I let you in on a little secret? It never lets up, does it? It never stops. As long as you live in this flesh, it never stops. As long as there is... Uh, as long as there are people that you got to serve with, that's, that's how many sources of discouragement that probably possibly could come in your life. It never ends. It goes on and on and on everywhere. He couldn't outrun it. They went to the next town. They were waiting on them there. You know what's going to happen today, Elijah. It's like, man, do you got, what are y'all doing? Who sent out this email? That's what I'd want to know. And so there's the reality of opposition. Can I give you a second one? Just real quick. I'm going to run through these last two just very quickly. The remedy for opposition. The remedy. How do we deal with opposition in our life? Well, I, I, I want to, I'm going to just give you just, just a little something that I'm, I'm going to be done. It's verse, it's verse number 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. What was that last stop they come to? They come to Jordan. They come to Jordan, those, those, those waters of Jordan. It seems like once they got into that Jordan and once they crossed through those waters, and of course it was on dry ground, he took that mantle and he smote it and those waters rolled back. And that's not a, that's not a unique miracle. Uh, the children of Israel crossed on dry ground, the Jordan River, and, uh, and, it, and it parted, took that ark and those waters. And then of course the children of Israel, the Red Sea, before that and the waters went back. 
And, and so this isn't an unusual miracle uh, in the sense that we've never seen something like this before. But they're going through that Jordan River. There's something about that Jordan River. You know, in your Bible, most, most Bible students agree that the Jordan River is a type. These waters represent death. They represent a separation. They represent, it's where the children of Israel, they, they left behind their carnal wilderness life and they were consecrated unto God and they were following God and they marched over the Jordan into the victorious life, the land of Canaan. That is a type of that spirit-filled life, dying to the self, living unto God, living in victory, crossing that Jordan River. And can I tell you, that is the key to dealing with opposition. Opposition will never die to you. You got to die to it. You got to die to it. You got to get in those death waters and you got to die. You have to mortify the flesh. The only remedy for the opposition that Elisha was going through was to go where those sons of the prophets would not go. You see them in verse 7. They're all standing afar off. They're all way up here. By the way, let me tell you, I'm going to give you some advice. You ready? If you want to get rid of your critics, if you want to get where you can't hear them, just enter into the Spirit-filled life. They won't follow you there. Those sons of the prophets would not follow them into that Jordan. They stood way, way over there. And they, would, they, 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 they were around Elisha all the other time. But as soon as he went into that full surrender, that victorious life, that spirit-filled life, they ain't no way in the world they're going to follow him in there. When you're spirit-filled, full of the Holy Ghost, you can't hear them. You can't hear what they're saying. You can't hear. You feel opposition, but God gives you victory over it because you have dined it. You know, Brother Roloff always said this. He, had a, he, had a, he was always attributed with saying that you can't offend a dead man. You can't. If we had a, had, a, had, a, had a body laying up here in a casket this evening, you could go up to that corpse and you could call it all kind of names and you could criticize everything about it. It will not respond. It will never respond. It will never be affected. It will not flinch one bit. You know why? Because it's dead. You know what we need to do? We need to die to self. You know why that opposite? You know why the, you know why the chirping and the, and, the, the, and the looks and, the, and, the, and everything? You know why that bothers you so bad? Because you care too much about yourself. care too much about yourself. I'm telling you, with that spirit-filled life, it's, it, it doesn't produce arrogance. And it doesn't produce ignorance. It doesn't mean you don't know it's happening. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're way above everybody else because you're up here. But what it does produce, it produces perseverance where you can make it through and it, every little thing doesn't trip you up. Every little thing doesn't stop you. Every little word, every little confusing thing, every little close thing, every continual thing where it doesn't stop you. you got Listen, the, 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 the opposition is never going to end until we get to glory. you got to get to the place where you can serve God in spite of it. Or you're going to be up and down and up and down and in and out. And that's where, most, that's where most people are. This message isn't for everybody. Because I'm going to tell you something. Most people, aren't, they're not concerned about this. Either A, they're not concerned about serving God. Or B, they're, just, they're not concerned about dying to self. Just not. I mean, it's just... I mean, 
And that's why most people, they, they live by their feelings. They live by their emotions. They are, run, they are run by every whim and every lust and every desire of the flesh. And that is what dictates their every move. Rather than dying to self. Say, Lord, it's not about me. It was in death waters. And when he got on the other side of them death waters, oh man, that's when, that's when things changed. That's when he, oh, Elijah asked him, said, Hey, what do you want me to do for you? It's, isn't, it, isn't it funny how Elijah, his message changes. Over here is, Hey, you stay here. Now it's, What do you want? I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing you could ever have happen is for God to give you what you want before you cross over Jordan. You don't want God asking you what you want because you know what? You won't ask for the right things. The worst thing in the world is for God to give a carnal man what he wants. It's only when your spirit filled, when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then... The psalmist said, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because your desires aren't in tune with his desires. And by the way, you never get anything he ain't wanting to give you. You'll never get one prayer answer he don't want to answer. That's the key to answering, getting your prayers answered. Ask for what he's wanting to give you. And the only way you're going to ask for what he wants to give you, you've got to die to self. And you've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. You've got to be praying in the Spirit. Mm, how about that? It wasn't until he crossed some death waters he got what he wanted. He wasn't ready. It wasn't until he crossed some death waters he got the power that he needed in abundant measure. That spirit-filled life, that's where it's at. That's not, oh, so, oh that's, a, that's a good idea. No, 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 that is, that is, that's not just a solution. That's the solution. That's the only answer there is to opposition. The only way you can have victory over opposition is you got to be spirit-filled. Die to self, full of God. The reality of opposition. The remedy for opposition. And then lastly, and I'm done, I'm going to call it this, the readiness of opposition. Because it seems like, this is what was interesting to me. I'll give you this little nugget and I'm going to sit down. But He faced opposition in three cities. There was Gilgal. There was Bethel and there was Jericho. Now, they got to Jordan. Jordan was the fourth city that they went to. Um, but there's no opposition in Jordan other than just the, the waters. They had to part those waters. But the prophets, the sons of the prophets, Elijah and all that, that's in Jericho, Bethel, Gilgal. Well, they go, they go to Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho. All right, if you notice, you follow those cities. Follow those cities. He goes right back to those same three cities. After he gets the mantle, after he gets the double portion of the power of God, the spirit of Elijah, he goes back to those three cities again. The next verse, verses 19 through 22, he goes to Jericho, verses 23 to 25, he goes to Bethel, and then in chapter 4, uh, he ends up going to Gilgal. In Jericho, in chapter 2, he heals the polluted waters. In Bethel, in chapter 2, he's mocked by those children but, of course, he's vindicated by those she-bears. And then in Gilgal, he heals the harmful pottage. There was death in the pot. 
It's amazing to me how God allows Elisha to go back and minister in the very same places that he had to push through to serve God. It's almost as if God brought him to those places to face opposition so he could go back and face an even greater opposition and experience a greater victory. It's almost as if God was preparing Elisha in those places. He said, I'm going to let you face some opposition here, and I'm going to let you face some opposition here, and I'm going to let you face some opposition here, because you're going to have to go back to the... You need to get victory in those places, because you're going to go back to those very same places and have to bring about a victory for somebody else. And is it not the way, isn't that the way that God operates? Every battle, every test, every opposition that we go through, isn't it just readying us and preparing us and strengthening us to be able to go? He went back to those same places and he said, you know what, I faced opposition here before, but it's going to be all right. God, let me push through here so now I can come back and bring a victory in this place again. And God uses our struggles to make us stronger for the next one that He knows we're going to face. Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. I'm done tonight, but I don't believe that, I don't believe that God is trying to crush us. I don't believe that at all. I think God allows us to have opposition so he can strengthen us and he can prepare us. One of the verses the Lord gave me years ago, I preached a message on it here. I think it was just on a Wednesday night, just a Wednesday night a long time ago. It said, if thou faint in the day of adversity, you know what he said? He said, thy strength is what? Small. He said, if you faint in the day of adversity, listen, the day of adversity is coming. If you quit when it's tough, it doesn't mean you had too much adversity. It means you didn't have enough strength. If you faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You know what that means? That means we need to get stronger. That means to be stronger in the faith. We need to be stronger in the Lord and in the grace of the Lord. That's what Paul told Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. And whenever I feel a temptation to quit, Whenever I feel a solicitation just to lay it down and leave it all, whatever that source of temptation is, wherever it comes from, that's the area I need to get stronger in. If it's criticism that makes me want to quit, then you know what I need? I need to get stronger in knowing who I am in the Lord Jesus and knowing that I'm right with God. The criticism won't bother me as bad. If it's, if it's lust, if it's, if, it's, if it's distractions, if it's money, if it's what, whatever it is, whatever, if it's discouragement, depression, whatever, whatever avenue it comes into my life, if that avenue, if that's what makes me want to quit and do something else with my life other than serve God, then that's where I need to get stronger. You know, I, I don't know a lot about, uh, about uh, working out in the gym and all that. I, I've been trying to do a little bit here lately, but more than I ever have in my life, I've never w- lifted weights in my life until the last, I don't know, two or three months. 
<clears throat> but they tell me that, that, that when you lift those weights, that that's not building muscle. When you lift weights, you're not building muscle. When you lift weights, you're tearing muscle down. And it is that muscle that when you're resting and it receives proteins, that muscle regenerates. And when it regenerates after it's been broken down, it regenerates stronger and bigger than it was before it was broken down. The only way that muscle will be able to get bigger is if it faces some opposition. That's what weights are. Have you noticed, have you, ever, you ever lift any weights or anything? You notice they, I go to lift some sometime and I feel like hey, they glued this to the ground. What happened? <laughs> Get on the bench and I drive like, I'm like, man, what did y'all do? Y'all tie the, y'all tie it up to the, to the thing. It's called adversity. It's tough. It's not easy. I'm pushing on it and guess what? Gravity is pushing it back down on me. It's opposition. But if you'll push through that opposition, if you can push through the pushback, and I bench, I don't know, five, six hundred pounds <laughs> in my dreams. Y'all hush. Heather thinks I do. She don't know what five, six hundred pounds is. Y'all stop it. Y'all just ruin that for me. I've been telling her I've been benching 500 at the gym. Gosh, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> but it's opposition it's pushing back I'm pushing on it it's pushing on me but if you can push through that opposition what does it do it gets you ready it gets you ready now I don't I don't bench anywhere in the neighborhood I'm talking about not on the same universe as 500 pounds but I'm telling you what and I'm not going to tell you what I can do because it, it would make you laugh again well there you go but I will say this, it's more, than I, it's more than I could do three months ago. I can do more push-ups now than I could three months ago. I'm not going to tell you how many push-ups I can do, but it is more. <laughs> it's about a thousand percent more. <laughs> What's a thousand percent of one? Is that ten? How about that? I'm going to tell you something. It's that opposition. Don't like it. It ain't fun. That's what makes you stronger. That's what makes you stronger. And so, you know what? To that I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for adversity. Thank you for opposition. Thank you, Lord, thank you for every critic. Lord, thank you for every discouraging mouth that has ever said, well, you can't. You'll never. You won't. That can't be done. Lord, thank you for all that. Thank you for every, Lord, thank you for every, every, every trial and every heartache and every burden. You know why? Because, and I, because when I push through them, the Lord's used them to make, them strong, make me stronger in the faith in my life. And that's what he's really trying to do anyway, isn't he? Make some strong Christians out of us. Amen. Serving and struggling, they go together. They always will. Let's stand together all over the